Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. It is a great pleasure to bring to you the voice of my friend Gabriel Yap, Executive Chairman of GCP Global. He helps us think like a pro when it comes to S-REITs. Now, you know, in an advisory last Friday, the Singapore Tourism Board indicated hotels may now apply to resume two activities, provide accommodation to guests for leisure, and open their recreation areas for children. So is this good news for hospitality S-REITs? Quarterly earnings for REITs expected in the second quarter of 2020, you know, we're just past the halfway mark for the year. So what could you need in your toolbox to suss out the winning REITs from the underperformers? But first, what do you need to know about the market to position your REITs portfolio now? Let's check in with Gabriel. Yep. Good morning, Gabriel. How are you? Always good to hear your voice, Michelle. So definitely, if I'm good, you make us better. Oh, love that. Okay, Gabriel, how have you been? And more importantly, how have REITs fared, do you think? since the reopening of Phase 2? Um, Michelle, the REITs have done tremendously well since the low uh, that we saw from COVID-19. They have actually surged by more than 44 to 46%. Um, essentially, they have actually outbid the STI equity index. Uh, more importantly is that this is not only just replicated in the Singapore REIT market. We see this in the uh, US REIT market. We see this also in the European REIT market, particularly the bigger markets like the Netherlands, Belgium and Germany. That's amazing. 44 to 46% of a surge. Help us understand what's pushing this. What are the push factors? Thanks once again to all the big central bankers of the world. For example, the Federal Reserve has indicated that interest rates will remain close to zero at least until 2022. But more importantly, it's actually expanded its balance sheet from like 3.7 trillion right now to 7 trillion. Can you imagine, Michelle, that flood of liquidity? Mm. And with this ultra, ultra low interest rates that will last possibly at least for the next five years. Now, why I say that, mm-hmm. you know, is that, you know, in the last down cycle, the global financial crisis, you know, the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates to a low in 2008. It wasn't until 2015 that we really had the first whisk of interest rate increase. And what did the Fed do then? Well, one interest rate increase. And then after that, when people were actually afraid of more interest rate increase, the next increase, one in 2016. You know, so you see that essentially interest rates can remain ultra low Mm. for a long period of time. Now, this will set the stage for outperformance of any new instrument, chief of which is definitely REITs, as in real estate investment trusts. They are for real, Michelle. (laughs) So are we expecting, because of this low interest rate environment, REITs to refinance uh, most of their their loans? In fact, this ultra-low interest rate environment helps them in their refinancing in terms of getting the loan quantum and more importantly is get the loan quantum at a much lower interest rate. Now, what does this mean is that it transmutes down to the DPU that the investors earn. This also means, therefore, that the dividend yield for the REITs will just increase 
without the price increase. But of course, if the price increases of the underlying REITs, then you still actually have a case of still better or relatively higher dividend yield as compared to previously. Really interesting. Um, what then should investors keep their eye out on when looking at the road to recovery and interest rates and what the environment means for S-REITs? Well, very much so. Any kind of REIT investors should actually adopt the eye of the tiger, something that we mentioned earlier. But I'm sure you can actually dance like a tiger much better than, uh, <laughs> than, than what it is. But, so essentially, if you're using the tiger traits, you know, uh, then it's clear that the tiger pounce as and when there are opportunities. So opportunities will arise as and when REITs actually announce the results. Opportunities will arise when actually REITs undertake acquisitions. Um, again, opportunities will arise for the tiger to pounce and therefore the REIT investors to ride on when actually REITs raise funds from the market, particularly if it's actually a deeply discounted rights issue of a good REIT. Now, it's very important, therefore, moving ahead to be positioned in good REITs versus the bad REITs. Yeah, so interesting. So we know that quarterly earnings for REITs are expected in second quarter 2020. As you mentioned, um, these earnings are going to be key for understanding when to pounce like a tiger. Can you just share a couple of things that people will have to have in their toolbox to suss out the winning REITs from the underperformers? Yes, um, essentially... REITs are collective instruments where the, it is as good as the underlying asset that they own. The income that is actually derived from the underlying assets will flow down to DPU, that's dividend per unit to the shareholder. Now, the dividend for the shareholder, there are only two ways to make money from REITs. It's as clear as black and white. Either you get a higher dividend, as in through a DPU, or capital gains. So you look for an opportunities where you can pounce to actually benefit from these two uh, particular variables. So in our classes, our investment REIT classes, we always actually position investors to look at the upcoming results, more so to prepare them before, not after the results. Because mm-hmm. if you're able to anticipate as what the tiger does, waiting for the bush, waiting for the right prey, then you will see that when the time comes and you're already well positioned, you already get a latitude ahead of the game. Right. So essentially to be positioned on those reads, they're about to report strong, positive, consistent and steady DPU growth. That is the winning strategy for REIT investors, whether you're a technical trader or you are a strategic long-term investor. Exciting tips there. Gabriel Yap, Executive Chairman of GCP Global. Gabriel, do you think S-REITs are trading closer to their long-term valuations now? Um, the matter of valuations, if you use as a measurement in terms of price, uh, the yield methods that is actually price to uh, dividend yield as well as price to book value, have actually taken a topsy-turvy turn because of COVID-19. So essentially, if you revert that back to normalize, as in basically in the last 10 years. Now, what is the last 10 years there for? The last 10 years for REITs, Michelle, incorporates the European crisis into 011, which we had a 22% correction in the REIT. Then we had a main um, 23rd uh, 2013 
taper tantrum for REITs. Mm -hmm. Then we had a 2015 sell-off and 2018 sell-off. And then now the COVID-19. So if if you take this as a long-term benchmark, in terms of dividend yield or price to book, you will see that most REITs actually now are trading at closer towards the one standard deviation above the mean to between two standard deviation above the mean. Now, when most investors uh, actually was arguing that uh, it's uh, for those REITs that are trading above two standard deviations, the likes of Capital DC, um, the likes of MIT, we actually told people that that's rubbish because, you know, this REITs, you know, REITs are evolving Mm. entities very much like tigers grow you know i mean they grow from cubes to fierce ferocious tigers you know and that's where the valuations expand you see so you must actually appreciate that the data centers that they have and the fact that mit for example has a greater proportion of data centers within its overall portfolio right now mm-hmm. you know from less than 20 Right now, it's 39%. You know, so that component of the tiger has grown. You know, so therefore, the valuations, you know, on a 10-year basis, uh, while it's good to bear in mind, but you understand that the trajectory is on the upward level. So any kind of valuation method, methodology must take this into account. All right. What What are your views on where the opportunities are? What do you make of the the merger of Capital and Mall Trust with Capital and Commercial Trust? Get, is that giving you reason to cheer? Mm, not really, because they are they both are already very big entities on itself. Uh, both of them are already ten billion in terms of size. So the combined size for both of them is twenty two point seven billion. Now, this are unlike the previous acquisitions, for example, between Viva and uh, ESR, that, that created an entity of just $3 billion, or Fraser Logistics and Fraser's Commercial, which created an entity of less than $8 billion. Now, those impediments were actually for those weeks to get bigger. But right now, for both uh, CMT and CCT, they are really big themselves. So I'm just surprised that they still want to go on with this merger. Uh, of course, the overriding, overarching effect is that in the long term, they can undertake huge development projects. As you know, Michelle, mm-hmm. the REITs are constrained and confined by the current Singapore REITs law, which allows only up to 10% in terms of greenfield or brownfield development, meaning that if they are combined, market cap is 22.7, they can actually build, they can actually undertake development from the ground up to about $2.7 billion. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what it seems that resilient seems to be a key word that people keep in mind when considering retail REITs or any type of REITs really um, through this crisis. What do you make of SunTech REIT? Is it expected to be more resilient given its diverse portfolio? Um, unfortunately, I would not classify um, uh, SunTech REIT in this category as resilient wheat, hmm. simply because if you look at its portfolio itself, it actually comprises a mix of uh, office, commercial, and uh, retail, not only just in Singapore, but in the, um, in the country, country that I spend most of my winter time, that's actually Australia. Hmm. They have actually um, um, uh, big uh, uh, properties in 
the state of Melbourne, state of Victoria, and a few other places. Now, essentially, uh, what I do not like about uh, those projects that they have in Australia is that they were entering these projects at the wrong time, in my opinion. You know, because they actually entered at a time where the Aussie against the Singh was above 1.1. That was about three to five years ago. And look at what the Aussie against the Singh actually is right now. Uh, but more importantly, if we look at the forecast for the Aussie against the Singh going for the next three years, I think whatever gains that they will make from this project will really be more on the lacrodiscal to muted level. You know, so it yeah, actually... I think it pinpoints and brings uh, to, to, to many invest, investors a very live example of prescient timing in actually buying your assets or in actually entering into a different geographical aspect for a REIT. Mm, speaking of different geographical assets, I know that iREIT Global was the first S-REIT in Singapore to feature European assets. Um, what do you make of, of, what is your view on iREIT Global? Well, actually, we were the very first one to actually profile them in the investors' need in 2014 at the then Intercontinental Hotel after they went for IPO. Uh, what The REIT has actually started with four IPO assets. We actually acquired one more uh, in, uh, in Germany. Um, uh, just but oh, the color change last year when they actually acquired two of its properties, two in Madrid and two in Barcelona. Uh, my biggest contention is the fact that the Barcelona and the Madrid uh, offices that were acquired, while they're new, when I actually look at their passing rent versus the valuations they are paid, it seems that the rent that these four buildings, that's Innova, Six Innova, seven, and in another building called Illumina, mm-hmm. you know, have not actually caught up with the market rent. Now, it would always be good, you know, if they can actually catch up with the market rent. But my question is that why do you actually have to pay such a high valuation already reflective of the passing rent? That's point number one. Now, point number two is that um, that deal was financed by a loan free. Uh, or, or rather a, a extension of loan concession from one of its principal shareholders, that's the CDL group in Singapore, up to $50 million. I think sooner or later that has to be worked into the gearing ratios as and when the numbers have actually been drawn down. So um, the well, acquisition looks good, but the way it's being financed, you know, gives me a lot of, uh, uh, how should I say, I mean, it's like, you know, not a very high conviction level mm. that the DPU impact, you know, would be accretive sufficiently in the, in the very short period of time. All right. So we're still in the midst of a pandemic. Um, do you think, when we were talking to analysts fairly recently, they were pretty cautious about uh, the newly renamed ARA Logos Logistics Trust, anticipating significant headwinds because of near-term uncertainties associated with the pandemic. Uh, what, what do you make uh, of the trust now? Oh, we still don't like it. I mean, uh, it's a, a trust uh, when it was called Catch Logistics. Mm. Uh, we actually, well, have told students to stay away from this read for the last five years. And true enough, in fact, the last six years, this is actually one of the read as the worst five performing REITs. The prices actually down close to about 30 to 50% in the last six years. Uh, one of the reasons we don't like it is because of the way they actually changed their profile from a predominantly 
um, uh, local REIT with something like 15 to 16 local assets. They make the switch two and a half years ago when they acquired the Australian assets. Right now, they have more Australian assets than Singapore assets. Nothing wrong with that, Michelle. I mean, the, the REITs is important to actually expand geographically if they think they can get a higher yielding asset. That is the prima donna of going to a REIT. Mm-hmm. But like the eye of a tiger, you know, for a REIT investor, you must always ask yourself if the REIT is doing this strategic change at the right time. For us, at that time, when the Aussie dollar was, uh, you know, on the way down, you know, we reckon that, you know, you are too late in the game. A good example is that Ascender Street in the same sector went into Australia way ahead of catch logistics. So essentially, why do you do that? And then to me also, it's my contention that they have to sell one Singapore asset and rather good yield, I would say, mm-hmm. to actually help finance Australian asset, which I think is a no-no strategy for any REIT. All right. He helps us think like a pro when it comes to REITs. Gabriel Yap is executive chairman of GCB Global. I have to throw this one in. Uh, there was an advisory that came out last Friday, STB, saying uh, hotels may now pretty much resume staycations. Uh, what, what, do you think this is good news for hospitality REITs? Yes, it's uh, finally an iota of good news after a long period of time. So, as I said, you know, the key thing is that it's an iota, meaning that it's not big, you know, impact. But look at it in the last four months where it's been really downtime for the sector. I mean, one small news, but not particularly great in terms of magnitude, but it's nonetheless good news. All right, that's good to know. So you talked about, you know, what you don't like in terms of sectors in the REIT market. Tell us about your your most preferred to your least preferred sectors. Give us a sense of that scale. Well, uh, for students of GCP Global, we have guided, you know, to stay away from the valued uh, traps. The valued traps are those REITs that tend to trade at a higher yield. But essentially, if you look at the underlying REITs themselves, the assets that they actually own or the timing of the assets, or the way the REIT manager treats shareholders, you know, not as equal or, you know, or uh, sometimes in deals where the, where the REIT manager basically has gotten the upper hand, or at least it seems, you know, if the REIT manager doesn't explain its position, then investors can only decipher from the numbers that has actually been uh, seen through the years. Right. So if you look at the worst five REITs in the last six years, you know, you have num- number one, Sabana. That's something that we don't like. Lippo Malls, we don't like. You know, um, OUE Commercial, we don't like. Um, catch Logistics, the one that you've mentioned, ARA Logos, mm-hmm. you know, which is renamed. Um, and Soybuilt uh, Business Trust. Now, uh, for this particular reasons, the ones that are actually uh, in the overseas category, that's basically the likes of Manual Life, Prime. Now, we prefer Rhyme Prime, for example, as compared to Manual Life in terms of the portfolio resiliency, even though they actually um, fall within the same office sector. Um, then the, there are a few new rates that basically have come to the radar, um, it's different, for example, like elite commercial read, but elite has only one tenant. That's that's the kind of read that we always, you know, our, our uh, uh, 
will, will tend to be very careful because of its reliance on one particular tenant. Right. So essentially, if we move on to the REITs, you know, the ones that have delivered stable, fabulous, fantastic returns. And fantastic returns are the likes of 100% return. You know, that it goes for MCT. So if we look at the 2013 prices and 2019 prices, mm-hmm. this is a REIT that has given a 100% return just on capital gain, not wow. even including the dividend yield. You know, so MCT, MLT, the large uh, data center players, FCT, CMT, Ascendus REIT, you know, that fall into this category. So underlying the commonalities of this REITs that have been able to deliver to shareholders, are number one, a high level of corporate governance. Number two, a good pipeline of projects that this REIT have been consistently inject into the REIT. Three, is that when these injections or asset acquisitions are done, they are done at level, at at uh, ways and methodology and prices which are fair to minority shareholders. What does this mean, Michelle? It means that this REITs will actually, uh, if they have to do a rights issue, they will not actually, I mean, shareholders actually get the benefit. And most good REITs, when they actually inject well, they don't need to offer rights issue at a substantial discount. The same goes for equity placement. So if you look at, for example, Capital DC Ascenders India Trust last mm-hmm. year, when they did their institutional placement, it's less than 2.5%. You know, take, for example, ML, uh, MIT, which just a month back did its placement at 280. Not even a month back, sorry, it's three weeks back wow. at 280. Mm-hmm. When the price is at 284, can you imagine that? Only a four cents discount, you know, mm-hmm. and they got away with it. And more importantly, after the placement, the share price moved up, you know. So this is a clear vindication of investors' belief in how the REIT is able to maneuver not only just with acquisition, but the way it is being financed. If it's seen as fair and good, it will be reflected in the share price. He's a sound voice you want in your head as you make decisions about REITs. Always a great joy speaking with you, Gabriel. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Michelle. Be joyful. Always. Gabriel Yap, Executive Chairman of GCB Global, joining us this morning, sharing his favourites and least favourites and what you need to understand to look at the eye of the storm when it comes to REITs. Right here on Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM. Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.